Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our seven-part series entitled The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And this week we have the seventh message entitled Solomon's Path to Financial Freedom. And it's brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in now in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's uh, next to last message. Next week, we are uh, uh, going to have one final message on, uh, in the book of Proverbs, and then, uh, the, then we'll be going into a new three-week series right before Easter on the heart of a servant. You know, Jesus talked about this is part of our core identity, is following him as being servants. What does that really look like? What does that mean? And so we're going to spend a few weeks uh, talking about that, and then we'll lead us up to Easter. And then after Easter, we're starting a new series on 1 Corinthians, and I'm really looking forward to that. So, but today we're in this uh, series that we've been in for a while, The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. I spoke on sex last week. I survived the week. I'm still here. I'm very thankful for that. God is good. And so I thought I'd go into equally dangerous territory and talk about finances uh, because those are the two things that most marriages break up over. So uh, today we're going to be looking at what God has to say about finances in the book of Proverbs and particularly what Solomon, King Solomon, has to teach us about the path to financial freedom. Now when I talk today about financial freedom, um, I'm using the term a little differently than we often use it. Uh, Often we talk about financial freedom, we think of a time in our life where we are so well off we don't have to work anymore, right? And for most of us that's not going to come until retirement, if even at then. And so we're not talking about financial freedom in that sense, but I'm talking about coming to a place in our life where God has so worked, he's freed us up in the area of finances, where we have our needs met, to where there's a high degree of contentment, they have got peace, they're not causing strife, it's not causing conflict, we're able to serve, we're able to give, we're able to focus on what's most important in life. And that's what I'm dis- uh, how Proverbs would define financial freedom, freedom in the area of our finances. And we're coming today to Solomon, smartest man who ever lived, at least uh, in the Old Testament, and, and he has some tips for us. And I want us to come upside of him, almost like he's our, our financial advisor, if you will, and say, okay, Solomon, you're so bright on the soil of finances, what would you teach us? What would be your top three lessons? Now, he has a lot of lessons to teach on finances other than these three. You know, there's little lessons like, hey, don't co-sign unless you're willing to pay the whole bill, you know, Uh, things like that. But, you know, it's hard to make a whole sermon out of that. And so, uh, but there's three themes that just keep coming at us over and over again in the book of Proverbs that are essential for us, I think, in experiencing God's plan for our life in terms of finances. And so we're going to jump in and talk about those top three tips. So here we go. Number one. Now, this first one is a little bit different. I don't think it's what we'd expect. You know, we think he might talk to us about, hey, spending less, saving more, something like that. But the first one is a theme that runs all through the book, and it's a huge step in terms of uh, coming to place, experiencing God's plan for our life. And that's number one, is we have to learn how to work hard. Now, I know some of you have this wired. Uh, Others of us don't. If you don't have it wired, you probably don't know this. Your relatives know it. Your your coworkers know it. Um, Everyone else knows it. You may not know this. But, uh, but the first thing Solomon says is if you want to experience God's plan financially, you need to learn how to make money. You know, you need to learn how to work hard. You have to establish a good work ethic. Now, this is not as easy as it sounds. For some of us in this room, it's come very naturally by the way you were raised or your personality or, or whatever. You're goal-oriented and you, and you just work hard and it just kind of comes naturally. For others of us here, not so much. 
either by personality or by lack of training. I know like when I was growing up, my family was real work ethic oriented, and so they always had jobs for us to do, and they were always kind of training us to work, and, and so it kind of became a part of what, what our family's about. But a lot of you have probably grown up in families that are not like that, that you were allowed to just skate, coast through life. You never really were taught to work. Maybe your parents didn't model that. And so whatever reason, we can come to a point in our life we've never really learned to work hard. And yet it's the first step to financial freedom, is to learn how to work hard. I remember when I was, uh, uh, Lynn and I were first married, been married about two years, and uh, we went back to the Midwest for me to finish my college outside Chicago. And uh, we first got there in the dead of winter, like February, and I had about four months till school started. And so the one trade I had in life was I was forklift operator. And so uh, I went to a temp agency and put that down and thought, I probably won't get a job, but sure enough, I got a job. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There was a 7,000-acre site out in the middle of Illinois. You know, it's like, that's a big, big area. Out of nowhere. And it's, it's a nationally known research laboratory called Fermilabs. It's a, a, it's a, a nuclear particle accelerator. Now, if you, if you know what that is, um, imagine like a huge ring underground, several miles, maybe two, three, four miles around this ring. And what they do is they get atoms going really fast, and then they just split them up to see what happens. And people come from all over the world, research universities, UCLA, Berkeley, and so on. They come from all over the world to, to use this nuclear particle accelerator to do nuclear research. And, uh, and so, anyway, I take this job. Well, the way it works is 7,000 acres of land. There's hardly any buildings on this land. In the middle, there's this large sky rise, like a 16-story high rise, where all the administration takes place. There's a shipping and receiving uh, area where everything that comes into all these research universities, just imagine probably hundreds of them, little huts really, scattered all around the 7,000 acres. So there's mostly nothing, but there's huts all over. Everything that comes in or out of the place goes through shipping and receiving one central location for security reasons. And so my job was to go in and work with this team and uh, I would, you know, want to be one of the forklift operators. We'd load up the pallets on these huge trucks and we'd drive them out all over these 7,000 acres. So the first day I show up to work and I'm ready to go. I'm ready, you know, excited about this new job. Let's get in and jump in. Can I keep up with these guys? And, you know, it's different kinds of forklift and that was a problem and all that kind of thing. And so I'm ready to go. It's 8.30 and I'm, boom, okay, I'm there, ready to go. I'm ready to work. No one's working. I'm just drinking coffee swapping stories. They're playing poker, playing poker. It's like, well, I didn't know how to po- play poker then, so I just kind of watched. And, uh, and so it's 8.45, 9 o'clock, somewhere like that. And I'm like, well, I guess it's time to get to work. I'm thinking like, it's like half an hour late, but okay, you know. And so we go out and load up a couple pallets. We get them on the, the truck. We drive all these, you know, over thousands of acres, drop them off. And we've been working about a half an hour now. And the guy says, my, my driver says, hey, well, you know what? That's really too, we don't have enough time to go get more work. Huh? Let's go to the high rise because we've got a cafeteria there. So we get there and let's take a 15-minute break, you know. Well, it was like 45 minutes. We're going through the line. I'm thinking, 15 minutes? How are we going to eat all this stuff? It's like, you know. Eggs, bacon, French toast, orange juice, you know, you know, like, you know, hash browns. I'm thinking, well, it's 45 minutes we spend in this. And we get done with that. We go back to pick up a couple more pallets. We go drive across several thousand acres, load the pallets. Now it's a half an hour before lunch. Oh, that's not enough time to go work. Let's drive the duck pond. <laughs> duck pond? Yeah, well, above the nuclear accelerator, you have to have water to cool it down. They have this huge, huge lake or pond. The ducks look a little weird. 
But we drive around, bump, bum, 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 listen to the Cubs game. You know, it was like spring training for the Cubs and listen to the Cubs. And I'm thinking, who listens to the Cubs? But anyway, you know, I'm in Chicago and everyone wants to go to Florida there. You know that? Like everyone there goes to Florida. Like I never even thought of going to Florida. Everyone goes. So I learned all, you know, I was learning the culture. And, um, and so then we'd go, we'd go back to lunch and we'd, we'd break half an hour early for lunch. Instead of a half an hour lunch, it'd be like an hour lunch. And it was the longest day of my life. I'm like, this day's never going to end. Do you have razor blades around here I could use? You know, s- speed up the process a little bit. You know, I'm just, I'm slowly dying. And so, so here's a whole culture, a whole environment, large environment, where in this workplace, people just really had learned how not to work. And, and Solomon comes to us and says, no, 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 that's not the way life works. If you want to experience God's plan for your life, first step is you have to develop a good work ethic. You have to learn how to work hard. Now, let's look at some scripture. Let's go to a book of Proverbs, and let's start at uh, chapter 10. In fact, <clears throat> Solomon even coins a word uh, for this. He talks about sluggards. Now, in the Hebrew, the word uh, means slug. No, just kidding. And uh, then Proverbs chapter 10 and verse uh, 4, we're just going to rifle through some verses to talk about work ethic. And I want you to be thinking about your own life. In just a couple minutes, I'm going to give you a test to see how you do in this area, all right? And verse 4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth, okay? So Proverbs says, hey, you want to experience God's plan for your life financially? You're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to work hard. Uh, He who gathers crops in summer, next verse, is a wise son. In other words, God's going to give each of us certain opportunities to make wealth in our life. There's going to be times where it's, hey, it's harvest time. This is your opportunity to make your money. And he says, if you don't take that opportunity, then guess what? You're going to go hungry. It's going to be the end of the harvest. You're not going to have enough money to pay your bills. Okay. Let's look at the next one. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. Now here the word sluggard comes up. Verse 4. A sluggard doesn't plow in season. In other words, a person with a poor work ethic, um, they, they just don't really, um, they kind of live for the moment, you know? And they don't really, okay, it's time to make hay, they're not making hay. And it says, so at harvest times, he finds, he looks, but he finds nothing. Let's look at another one. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. I love this one. <laughs> the sluggard says, hey, there's a lion outside. I'll be murdered in the streets. Now, one of the marks of a person that doesn't have a good work ethic is that there's always an excuse for why we don't get the work done. There's always a reason why I didn't get the report turned in on time. There's always a reason why I can't find a job. There's always a reason, you know, why. But there's just, they're excuse-oriented. One of the marks of a person that doesn't have a good work ethic, kind of, instead of producing, bringing home the bacon, you know, they kind of bring home the bologna. Okay. <laughs> Next one. Proverbs uh, twenty-eight nineteen. This is a good one. I want you to see, we're not looking at all the verses in this, but you get a feel for how often uh, Solomon talks about this. Verse 19, he who works his land, remember farming uh, metaphor here, he who works his land, they'll have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this. They always have a grand scheme, you know. It's like, well, well what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to make a lot of money. Well, what are you going to do? Oh, I- I'm going to be like a movie producer. Well, what are you going to do? Um, oh, I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to have a big house, a big family. And it's like, so what are you doing? 
well, nothing, you know. And, and so there's always this fantasy of someday you're going to win the lottery, you know. But like no plan on even buying a ticket, you know. <laughs> Which don't say you heard it here. But anyway, all right, you get the point. So, so we want to take a little test now. So how do you know if you have a good work ethic? And I've got to tell you this. If you don't have a good work ethic, you may be the last to know this, all right? This has been my experience in life, that people that don't have a work ethic, they don't see themselves as being maybe kind of lazy or maybe not working real hard. They see themselves as flexible. Um, they see themselves as spontaneous. Um, they see themselves as um, joy of life. Um, they see themselves as relaxing, balanced. These kinds of words come to mind. Uh, they're not into the corporate ladder. Uh, they... They, they just, you know, they, they, and of course, if they saw themselves as lazy, they'd probably do something about it. So, so here's the deal. I'm not asking, you know, uh, your neighbor to judge you. I'm just saying judge yourself here. I'm going to ask you three questions, all right? Here's a little test for you to take to measure yourself to see how you're doing. Number one, this is kind of the first obvious one, but how hard do you work? Now, let me talk one. We live in a culture today, I really believe this, we are losing our work ethic as a nation, Right? We are becoming a nation that's all about rights and nothing about responsibilities. We're becoming a nation that's like, what are the benefits and what are my guaranteed job? Very little about what do I do to produce for the company or produce for the business or whatever, right? We're, I mean, I, I can see your heads nodding all over. You're like, yeah, we understand this. I, I, I was... Um, I was looking through my files in preparation for this, came across one study that was done of people, and they asked a simple question, at your current place of employment, how hard do you work? And 85% of people said that they could work harder than they do. Well, that one doesn't really surprise me, because probably most of, even if we have a good work ethic, well, I guess you always do more, but here's a statistic that blew me away, that 50% of the people said they could work twice as hard and achieve twice as much if they put their mind to it. Isn't that amazing? Now, can I tell you something? Just take a little sidebar here for a second. This is incredibly important for us as followers of Jesus, and it's incredibly important for us as a church of Rocky Peak, and I'll tell you why. Is that later on in the service, we're going to have some special music at the end. It's called City on the Hill, about how Jesus called us to be a light. And can I tell you something, that one of the most important places for us to be a light in this community is in our work ethic. Have you ever worked at a place, I've worked at places like this, and you just, there's someone there who they, they, everyone knows they're a Christian, and you just wish they would keep their mouth shut? It's like, could you just say that you're like a Buddhist, you know? <laughs> would you mind just, you know, um, just saying you're an atheist? Because you're like a bad advertisement. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, when there's work to, hard work to be done, they're always busy. You know, they're coming in late, they're leaving early. They're punching the time. Like everyone knows, they're not working very hard. They're not making Jesus look good. And yet, all the time, they're talking about, hey, come to my church. You know, it's like, I just want to say, you know, give them the name of a different church. You know? You know, I go to Shepherd. You know? Um, where do you go to church? Cornerstone. That's my church, you know? Um, church on the way. Uh, that, that would be a good, good answer. Don't say Rocky Peak. You know, if that's you, don't say Rocky Peak. Because, you see, Jesus says that people will know that we are Christians. That He says, let your light shine. And, he doesn't, and we think that means like share with the guy next to us on the bus. He says, let your light shine through your good works. And most of us spend a ton of time on the job. And, and our good works there means that we are 
kind of the first to show up. We are going beyond the call of duty. We are serving well. We're working hard. And, and others became, you know, we want to be the kind of place for people. You go to Rocky Peak, oh, that's good. Well, I'm really interested in hiring you. I've had two people from there. You know, see, that's the kind of place because that's what makes Jesus look good. And so this is really important stuff. And so uh, Proverbs 14.23, there in your note sheet, it says, all hard work brings a profit. Mere talk leads to poverty. So the first thing is, are you working hard? Okay, what's, and here's, here's the, again, key question. I don't care what you think about yourself. Here's what I want to know. The people that you work with, what is your reputation at your job site? You know, how you see yourself, really not very important. But if you're working with people eight, ten hours a day, they're going to know. And so how do they see you? And if you say, hey, you know, honestly, I'm slacking. I'm kind of waiting until I get a really good job and then I'm going to work hard. You know, there's a lot of people like that. Well, I'm not working very hard now, but it's only Starbucks. And, you know, and so someday I'm going to get a career type job and then I'm going to work hard. Can I tell you something? That's not how the world works. You work hard, then you get the good job. You don't get the good job, then you work hard. Okay? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, how much supervision do you need? Now, this is a good proverb. We'll, we'll, we'll see it in a second. But one of the marks of a person with a strong work ethic is they don't need a lot of supervision because they're really driven from within. Their, their motivations are self-motivation. In fact, it might even be a higher motivation. It might be that they're working for the Lord. In fact, let me give you a, a pass, two passages of Scripture to write down. They're not on your note sheet, but I want you to write them down and then look at them this week. Uh, Colossians three twenty-two through 24. And then Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. They're both passages written to Christian slaves. And what they're, they're told is, is that when you work, don't work to please your master. Like, don't work harder when he or she's around than you work otherwise. Don't be a men pleaser. It says, because really you're working for the Lord, and you need to work whatever job you have. You work at it as if Jesus was your boss, and Jesus will reward you. Very clear teaching there. And so um, these kind of people, uh, they don't need a lot of supervision because either internally motivated or they're working for the Lord, but they don't need a lot of supervision. Here's how Proverbs puts it. They're in your note sheet. Go to the ant, you sluggard. (laughs) Isn't that great? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Um, Son, come here. Um, Consider its ways. He says, hey, look, you want to learn how to work, go out and find an ant. Uh, Any ant will do. You know, find one on a wall, find one after the rain, they're coming in your house. Just find an ant, you know. And then pull up a chair, pull up a bar stool or something. Just kind of watch the ant for 15 minutes. Just, just check them out. Notice that there's no supervisor in the area. That the ant is just kind of doing ant-like stuff. Have you ever watched the ant? They're amazing. I mean, they just like, they carry like 18 times their weight or something. You know, you see one of them dies. The other one's just like dragging them across the wall, you know. It's like... Uh, dead ant, dead ant, dead ant, no. Uh, you know, so um, he says, watch the ant. Look how they do it. He says, they don't need supervisor. Who is this? Go to the ant, you slugger. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. It doesn't need an overseer. It doesn't have a ruler, no supervisor. But it stores its provision in summer. It gathers its food at the harvest. This kind of does it. See? Okay, number three. Here's a third question for you. Do you go the extra mile? You know, there are some employees or bosses or whatever, there are some people that what they do in life is the bare minimum not to get fired. That's their goal in life, not to get fired. 
And so they're not really results-oriented, they're time-oriented. Now, one of the marks of a good work ethic is that you're a results-oriented person. You're a production-oriented person. You don't measure your success by how much time you put in. You measure your success by the results you produce. See? And this is what employers love. They say they want someone who produces results. And there's some people, hey, I put in the day, I'm, I'm out of here. What you want to look is, no, where's the person who says, hey, this is what needs to get done. I'm going to make it done. I'm going to bring home the bacon. I, I'm going to produce. And bosses love people like that. If you're a boss, you know this, that if you have someone in your company, they're that kind of person, they're going to rise in the organization. Why? Because bosses always have way much to do. And if they have someone who's going to produce, they want them closer to them. Right? And they're going to suck you up. They're going to suck you up into better positions. There on your note sheet is a great verse. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. You see? He says, take care of your boss. And guess what? He'll take care of you. Be a person who goes the extra mile. I uh, came across a great story years ago. There's a book called The Magic of Teamwork. It's uh, written by Pat Williams. He's a senior executive vice president, or uh, yeah, vice president of the Orlando Magic, the uh, NBA team. And it's a good book on teamwork, and he uses lots of sports analogies and that kind of thing. But he tells a great story in there of meeting a lady one day named uh, Clara Walters. Uh, she was an African American lady, and she had risen up through the school system, kind of started at the bottom uh, of school district, and she'd risen up to become one of the uh, uh, board members in Orlando, uh, Orlando, Florida, in Orange County, Orlando, Florida. And so she'd risen from the bottom to the top, been very successful. Pat met her because they were speaking together on Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, at, a, at a banquet. And so she's sharing her story there, her, kind of her secret to her success. And it's a great picture of work ethic, uh, going kind of the ex, extra mile. Um, she said, well, here's what I did. She said, when I was in high school, during the summers, I had a job as, as a cabbage cutter. And what you'd do is you'd have these big road, you know, uh, fields of cabbage. You'd, you'd get on this uh, mechanical cart. They'd drive you along. And uh, you'd lean out the side. You had a machete. And you'd whack off cabbages. Whack. You know, whack. Whack. Just at ground level. And as these heads would roll, then someone would come along afterwards. And they would, you know, the next group would pick up the cabbages. So she's going along, whack and whack. And one, one day, Don's on her, you know, if I had a, another machete, I could whack off both sides of this cart. And so now she's like, Whack to the left, whack to the right, stand up, sit up, fight, fight, fight. And, and so she becomes like a double whacker, you know. And, and so she, at the end of the day, she would whack twice as many cabbages. And she's now a cereal, no. <laughs> and, uh, uh, anyway, so, so, she, so, she, uh, so what she said is the way she approached her job. And when she got in the school district and got a job at the very bottom there, and she said, you know what, I, pers- I pursued that job like I pursued cutting cabbage. And she said, my, my philosophy was, I know school districts go through hard times. I know they have to let people off. I wanted to be the person that they would never let off because if they let me off, they would have to hire two people to replace me. You see that kind of mentality? Now, that's the kind of mentality Proverbs would say. That's where we need to be. How are we a production-oriented? How do we add value to the organization that we're working for? Okay, And so the first step to financial freedom, according to Solomon, is that we have to work hard. We have to become a hard worker. So that's a question for you. How are you doing in that area? Now, number two. The second step is we need to learn to live with a margin. 
In other words, that we need to learn to live to spend less than we make. In Proverbs 21.20, it's there in your note sheet, in the house of the wise, now notice in this verse she's going to contrast two ways to approach our finances, a wise way and a foolish way. Okay, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. In other words, you go to a wise person's house, they're going to have some savings. That's what he's saying. They're not going to eat everything that they create in an agricultural society. They're going to store up some things, some savings. He says, but a foolish man devours all he has. So two approaches to life, two ways to approach life in our finances. One is to, to eat everything we create, to devour everything we have. The other is to put aside some, to save some for, for future need. And Solomon says this is one of the keys to being successful financially. Um, now this is not easy, is it? Um, We live in a culture where advertisers are at us 24-7 telling us that if you want to be happy in life, you need more. More is better. The more you have, the happier you will be. And it's coming at us 24-7. And we've even created a way with credit cards of getting more, right? And so this is not an easy thing. I'm always amazed... When people from another culture, and I'm sure you've seen these stories too because they come along, immigrants from another country come to the United States often have, they don't even know our language and they have no money and yet within a short time they have more than we do. And you know, the reason is is because they have a whole different paradigm, a whole different way of looking at life. What we see as a need, they see as a luxury because their context is so different. They're coming from a place where that would have been a luxury, Right? And so what do they do? They just follow Solomon's first two steps. They work really hard, and they say, hey, look at this. This is an amazing land of opportunity. If we just live on this little bit, we'll still be living better than we live in our homeland, and and we can save this extra money, and then we can invest it or put it in a business or whatever, and wow, they get ahead. They're just following what Proverbs says, you see. It's not an easy lesson to learn. Um, it's, uh, It's difficult in our country, with the emphasis we have on getting more. And yet it's very possible to do. Um, Now, how do you know? How do you know if you're living with a margin? Well, of course, the obvious answer is, well, check your visa bill. You know, it's like the number one way you can tell is like just pull out your credit cards and how much do you owe? That's the number one way to see if you're living in, within your margin. Um, but I want to get a little bit more practical than that. So I put together a little, another test for you, okay? Today's test day. Um, Are you living with a margin? Now, I just want to say this before I get started. This is not a guilt trip. All right? There's probably a lot of us here that are going to take this test and not do real well. This is not about making you feel bad. This is not about, oh, you're, you know, shame on you. It's not about that. But, like, hey, a lot of us haven't had training in this. We haven't had models in this. Maybe we did, but we've blown it. Okay, so what? Jesus always cares more where we're going than where we've come. But here's the deal. If we don't get a handle on our finances, they will cripple us spiritually. That's the bottom line. It will create stress in our families It creates stress in our marriages. Um, It can keep us from focusing on what's really important in life. It can make us, just can render us ineffective in terms of kingdom and ministry. We don't have time to think ministry and what God's calling us in our life because we're just busy paying the bills or worrying about it or fighting over it. And so this is critical stuff. But as we go in, we're looking for solutions now, okay? This is not a guilt thing, all right? So just relax. Um, but let's go through these questions. Let's just give you a handle whether it's an area that you might need to grow. Number one, we're going to fill them in real quick. Are your finances creating significant stress in your life? Now, the word, you know, significant is key. I think finances always create some stress, but is, that, is it causing problems in your life? Number two, are you able to save? 
And I'm not talking about, you know, saving for some big investment or something. That'd be great. But I, how about in basic savings? Like every year, uh, probably this happens in your house, I get a bill for my auto insurance. It's kind of weird, but every year I get one. Did you get one, did you get one of those? Yeah, okay, great. Um, so, so every year, I know that thing's coming, right? Um, my tires wear out. Any of your tires wear out? Yeah, okay. So, so okay, so you got to, oh, okay, you know that's coming. There's just certain expenses in life, but they're not really a surprise. We know they're coming. So I'm just talking, how about even basic savings? So that when the bill comes, we have the money. Uh, number three, are your credit card balances increasing each month? That's not a good one. Um, number four, uh, have you reached the limits of your credit cards? You go, oh yeah, but it's no problem. I keep getting more offers. <laughs> awesome, I'm worth more money now. They'll lend me more. I'm getting ahead. How about this one? Um, are you making only the minimum payment each month, but continuing to charge more? <laughs> um, next one, are you often, that's the grace word, are you often late in paying your bills? How about this one? Do you borrow money to meet regular living expenses? Oh, hey, but that's what parents are for. They're <laughs> giving them an opportunity to give back. Okay, hey. Uh, are you forced to temporarily cut back on your giving? You know, obviously, as followers of Jesus, giving's a big deal. We'll talk about that more later. But, uh, Jesus, can you just kind of hold on? Can I alone with you? I'm a little tight this month. Number nine, do you write post-dated checks so they won't bounce? It's getting awful quiet in here. Number ten, do you know how much you actually owe? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, no, that's why I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want to know that? I'd be depressed. Okay, look at Proverbs 22.7. There in your note sheet. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So there's a message here. When we are upside down in our finances, we're not living within a margin, there is a bondage that comes into our life, isn't there? And we are no longer in control of our life. We're not really in control of being able to serve God and focus on his priorities. We can't really serve him well. We can't serve our families well because we're under bondage to our, our uh, creditors, you see? And so, um, and so he says, okay, the second thing we need to do. Now, here's, now here's, the, here's the point. Hey, if you're in that boat, you are not alone. You know, probably a good part of America is in that boat. And, and if you're not in the boat, it's, you're not alone. But you know what? Here's the good news. You can get out. You can solve this thing. There are ways out. It's going to take some hard work, yes. It's going to take some learning, some new skills, yes. Maybe some education, obviously. Need some help, yes. Uh, you have to grow spiritually, maybe learn some new contentment, yes. But the payoff is incredible. The freedom that comes. And so there's a lot of ways to do that. You can buy a book, you know, like Finances for Dummies and study it and put it in effect. But probably if this is your issue, probably you're not... That's probably not your thing. Uh, you can go to a financial planner and help them put together a plan and help them work. That's great. Awesome. There are many ways to solve this issue, okay? One of the ways that we're high on here and that we always platform a lot here is this whole crown financial thing we announced today. The brochures in your bullets. I run into people all the time that tell me how their life was changed by this ministry. I just talked to a guy here two weeks ago. So I'm over in the, the, one of the little you know, F building or D building, what do they call it? Um, 
You know, and and uh, he was working on our facility. It was like not you know a volunteer thing. It was a paid thing. He's working on fixing something here. And uh, first time we'd met, and he said, I got to tell you, he said, you know that financial, that crown financial thing? Yeah, I know that. He said, uh, I'm only four weeks in. It's already changed my life. I cannot wait. It's, like, it's, it's changing my life already. And I hear that all the time. So this is an area, it's kind of hard to get a handle by yourself oftentimes, especially if you have a lot of debt. And so I just encourage you, you know, take advantage of this. Take, take control of your life again. Move out of the bondage. Okay. Now, the third thing he says to do, so we've talked about two. He says, number, number one, you need to learn how to work hard so you make money. Number two, you need to live within a mar- with a margin, which deals with spending money. But the third thing has to do with giving money. And the third message that he gives us over and over in Proverbs is to give generously. There's a couple kinds of giving that he talks about in Proverbs. One is giving to God. I think of it as vertical giving, giving to advance his kingdom. But then there's a horizontal giving of giving to the poor. And both are addressed. I don't know if you remember, but if you were here last uh, fall, (laughs) we did a series called The Company That Committed. We talked about seven habits of a healthy church. And and these are the seven commitments that members, new members, make at Rocky Peak. And one of those was to to give. It was called God-sized giving, the tithe and beyond. And we talked that day about the Old Testament, how in the Old Testament, when God created a nation, he wanted to weave generosity into the very fabric of the nation. And so he said, I want to bless you financially, but it's conditional. I will bless you if you follow my instructions. He talked about three types of giving. There was the tithe, 10% of their, their income that would go to support the kingdom work, the ministry, and so on. And then there was giving uh, over and above that that was special kinds of gifts and offerings required different kinds of the year. And then there was a third kind was giving to the poor, and all three were important. Well, when you turn to the book of Proverbs, you see both of these kinds incorporated, really way more emphasis on giving to the poor. So we're going to spend more time on that today, okay? But I want to start off with talking about the vertical giving, giving to God, because it's also taught. And so I want you to go to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. We're just going to look at one passage in Proverbs 3 about giving to God, and then we'll talk about several passages. We'll flip through quickly on giving to the poor. So Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. Now, what we're going to see here is Solomon's advice on here's how to prosper financially and uh, how to get uh, be under God's blessing. Verse 9, he says, you're to honor the Lord with your wealth. In other words, everything we have in life, everything you own, is a gift from God. And we're supposed to honor him with it. Now, if you go into a restaurant and you want to honor the server who served you well, we give them a tip, right? We give them, how much do we give? 15%? Okay, great. Uh, some of your waiters, 20%, 25 um, Okay, so 15%. Remember, it used to be 10%. If you're, and you're like, no, I don't remember that. I'm not that old, Mike. I'm not old like you. <laughs> like, okay, well, well, if you're old like me, um, it, remember back, there was a day, 10% was the norm. Remember that? And uh, that funny story, when I was a little boy, I'm probably seven years old, something like that, we were taking a family trip. And, uh, you know, I've always noticed my dad tips at the end. I, you know, you're a kid, you have no idea, like, how much to give or whatever. And so there was a bill, and, of course, it wasn't much money in those days, and so they had breakfast or something. And I, the bill was, like, say, eight twenty-four. And so I turned to my dad, and I said, in all seriousness, Dad, how do you figure out how much you, you tip? 
And uh, he says, oh, Mike, it's really simple. You just take your finger. See, this is 824, yeah. Okay, we well, take your finger, and you put it over the last number. And so what does that say? It says 82. He says, yeah, that'd be 82 you know, cents. That'd be 10%. And of course, you wouldn't want to give 82 cents. We'll round it up. We'll give a dollar. I thought about that a second. I said, well, Dad, why don't you put your finger over the eight, and then we don't have to give 24 cents. We can round it up to a quarter. Yeah. It's gone down in our family stories. But anyway, so ever since, I've been trying to learn how to save a buck. But um, anyway, so in the old days, you give 10%. And so God says, yeah, okay, I want you to honor me. And you go to a restaurant, you want to honor the waitress, honor the wait. You give them 15% or whatever. I'm kind of old school. Just, could you give me 10%? I'd like 10%. I'd like a tip on all that I do for you. And so there's, so there's things. So honor the Lord. Um, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crop. Now notice that first fruits, very important principle. Our giving to God should not be off what's left over at the end of the month. Um, our giving to God all through the Bible is always give our best. The best is the first fruits. You go to the supermarket and what do you pay the most for? You pay for the, the newest crop, right? When the first fruits come in, you pay the most. Why? Because they're the most valuable. And so there's a principle here of giving to God the best, but it's also a principle of you don't wait to the end of the harvest and see how much money, how, how much harvest you have before you decide what to give. You give off the top. You don't wait to give off the leftovers. So he says, so that's the principle. Honor the Lord and give off the top. Give him the best. And then verse 10, here's the principle. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God will bless it's interesting, this fall I got a, an email from a man in our church. We were having an email correspondence and one of the things he wanted to talk to me about was tithing and he's trying to figure out this whole thing of giving to God and he'd email me some questions and we'd been corresponding back and forth and so he emailed me uh, back in December and uh, he gave me permission, obviously. Uh, I never read something without permission. But uh, he wrote to me, Dear Pastor Mike, he said, a few months ago I asked you about tithing. Your recommendation was to increase my giving, <laughs> obviously. Um, you remember where we were last fall? Uh, no, just teasing. But uh, you know, through this, I, I encouraged him to take a step of faith. And, and so he said, You also helped me with my thinking regarding tithing. And I immediately raised my giving to equal what I'm supposed to give as tithing. I didn't think I could afford to give that much. Well, not only am I able to afford the tithing, but I've been so rewarded by the Lord. And he goes on to thank me for that counsel. He says, this is Proverbs 3 in action. Honor the Lord from your first fruits, and your barns will overflow. And he takes that step of faith. And, and I know many of us in this room have that same testimony, but uh, it's always exciting to see someone else stepping out, trusting, trusting God. So, so that's the first thing. He says, okay, give generously. Where you start, you start with your giving to God, you know, um, give him his portion, honor him. But there's a second theme that comes off really strongly in this book. And this is so interesting because you know, I've grown up in church my whole life, but I've rarely heard teaching on this. And it's the importance and call of giving to the poor. And there are three kinds of giving in the Old Testament. There was a tithe, there was offerings of giving to the poor. And I've heard very few sermons on this in my life, very little. I've heard a lot about reading your Bible, heard a lot about praying, heard a lot about using your gifts, very little about giving to the poor. Um, a few years ago, I was reading a, a theological commentary um, by John Grisham. 
Any John Grisham fans here? <laughs> I've read every novel he's ever written. I, I read. I said that Christmas one. It looked too corny. But anyway, um, I, I love John Grisham novels. And uh, he wrote a book called Street Lawyer years ago. It's a story about this young attorney. He's just starting off in life. He's doing really well. He's at this prestigious law firm in Washington, D.C. 800 attorneys in this law firm. He comes back from lunch one day and he, he's all dressed up. It's winter time. You know, he's dressed to kill. Isn't it you expect an attorney in D.C. to look? And he gets into a, uh, an elevator and, and behind him walks on this man. He's obviously a homeless man. He's got the big trench coat. He's covered up, got big rubber boots on. He smells horribly. You know, he hasn't taken a bath forever. You can smell the alcohol on his, on his breath, unshaven, really dirty looking, hair, hair matted. And this guy goes to the back of the elevator and, and so our young attorney pushes the sixth floor and he goes up the sixth floor, he gets off and this guy just stays on the elevator at first but then he begins to follow him out and he doesn't think much about it. He's going to his office's conference room where they had this meeting going on and he's starting walking down. All of a sudden he hears the fire of a gunshot. And of course he freaks out and he turns around and this guy's just shooting like crazy, shooting the gun. This homeless guy's come off the elevator shooting like crazy. And the homeless guy chases him into this conference room and he, he, he gathers up nine attorneys, including our young attorney. He puts him against the wall. He takes out a, a big piece of rope from his uh, a loop of rope out and he gives it to our young attorney and he says, would you, he says, tie up all these attorneys hand to hand. And so he does. And when he gets done, he says, now back against the wall. He takes off his trench coat and he's got 12 sticks of red dynamite strapped to his chest. Of course, no one knows why we're there. What's going on? What's this guy want? He's crazy what? So he turns to the young attorney and says, hey, what'd you have for lunch today? Well, I had a chicken Caesar, grilled chicken Caesar. How much did you pay for it? $30. It's DC, remember? He says, well, I I ate at a homeless shelter today. I had a a bowl of soup. You know, $30, I could have fed 100 people. So how much did you make last year? Well, I made $120,000. How much did you give to the poor? I don't know. Where's your tax records? They're down the second floor of our tax accounting department. Get them up here. I want to see your records for last year. In fact, I want to see the records of every one of the attorneys. I want to see how much you made and how much you gave to the poor. So they get them up there. They eventually come up. In the meantime, he's interrogating each person. How much did you make last year? How much did you give to the poor? And the guys were just scared to death. And so they're saying things like, well, I gave to my alma mater. I didn't ask you about your alma mater. I want to know how much you gave to the poor. How much did you give to a soup kitchen? How much did you give to a homeless shelter? How much did you give to a medical clinic? How much did you give to the poor? When all the documents there, he went through them and this group of attorneys had made $3 million between them the year before, but they'd given not a dime directly to the poor. I remember reading that. You know, John Grisham's a Christian. I remember reading that and feeling a little bit like a deer in the headlights. I'm thinking my whole life, you know, my whole life I've grown up in Christianity, I've grown up in the church, I've been this thing, and yet here's this theme that's all through the Bible about giving to the poor. You see it in Proverbs over and over and over again. In fact, let's look at a couple verses here. Proverbs 19.17. I'm just going to rifle through. I just want to give you a feel for this to see how prevalent this teaching is. Proverbs 19.17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. Next one. We're going to move quickly here, so wake up your fingers. Chapter 11, verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He refreshes others, will himself be refreshed. Let's keep going. 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food 
with the poor. See, part of God's financial plan for our life. Here's the next one. Proverbs 28 and 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. One more, 31.20. This is the passage that talks about the model wife. And what you'll see about the model wife in Proverbs is you'll see incredibly strong work ethic if you read through, and and very entrepreneurial, very creative woman. But you'll also see in verse 20, her concern for the poor. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And so I'm reading this Grisham novel and feeling an encounter with Jesus coming on, you know? Can I tell you something? Like, I don't know the flat out the first thing about this. If you ask me, hey, how are you doing in terms of work ethic? I'm there. Like, how are you doing in terms of, uh, like, spending less than you make? Doing a pretty good job there. I could do better, but doing pretty good. Okay. Well, how are you doing, like, giving to God? Doing great. The wired for years. Well, so how are you doing in giving to the poor? It's like, uh, can we move on to the next question? I, I honestly, I don't know a lot about this. You know, it's one of the things that, Holy Spirit's not taught me a lot about, but I'm seeing it over and over in Scripture in the last few years. It's like, okay, I think it's going to come a day. Jesus is going to teach me about this stuff because it's so, so much on his heart, not just in Proverbs, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It'd be fascinating if we had time today to trace this theme throughout Scripture. You know? But there's a time in our lives, there's a time in different seasons, isn't there? And the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us all at once. It's kind of different times. It's going, this is the lesson for today. You see? But I want to teach this not because I know so much about it, but because it's here. <laughs> and I think somehow we've missed this as the Church of Jesus Christ in America. I think we've missed this somehow. It's so much there. And I'll tell you what, here's what I think. I think here at the Church of Rocky Peak, I think this is going to be on our agenda as the years go forward. I think He's going to create in us a heart for the poor. It's going to start just for the heart of the poor here in our midst. He's going to teach us how to love one another in practical ways in our, in our life groups. That's where it's going to start. And it's going to go other places too. You know, in the New Testament, there's a verse. Why don't you write this verse down? It's not on your sheets. Galatians 6.10. And what it says is that we're to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. In other words, to the family of God. The giving is to start at the home. We take care of our own poor first. That's our first family priority, you know. So whether it's here or across the seas. You know, when I was over in Uganda, Peter and I were talking one day, and, you know, over there, that, uh, it, through his, his ministry, that they support about 3,000 either orphans or underprivileged children that wouldn't have an education otherwise, like we saw today. And so I told him, I said, hey, Peter, I'm teaching through Proverbs, and I know we're going to have a message on finances, and I know that we're going to be talking about giving to the poor because Proverbs is so big on that. And so do you have, like, would it be possible... Do you have a need for, to support more kids? Um, and, and if so, are there any kids that are like near Gaba where the church is so that as our missions teams come over and stuff and we send more and more people over to help out the ministry here, that maybe they could actually meet the child that they're sponsoring? You know, is that possible? And he said, yeah, I think we can work that out. So, you know, a week or two ago, we get in the mail, 88 kids, their little profile on it, um, the picture, name, you know, date of birth, what they do, and so on. And it was just, um, it was just one way of giving to the poor. And, and I want to be really clear on this. 
I think God has a calling in each of our lives. I'm not saying you should do this, you ought to do this. But whenever I teach, whenever possible, I always like to, if possible, give practical steps to take. Here's resources. Here's a book to buy. Here's a step to take. Here's a seminar. You know, try to give something to give you the next step, you know? Because honestly, like, like preaching and teaching is really great for informing and it's great for motivating, but change usually comes as we follow up in other ways. And many times we need a step to take and we don't know where to begin. So here's one step. Maybe it's not got your name on it. Maybe your giving to the poor will be something else that God puts on your heart. You know, for you just to reach out in whatever way. But here's how I know about change. Is change doesn't happen overnight. It usually happens in small steps. It's that we don't usually go from zero to 60 overnight spiritually. It often takes small steps. So be looking for your life to see is there something that God's putting on your heart this week about giving to the poor. Maybe it's a small step. Maybe it's getting one of these children. I don't, I don't even know if we have any left. I know we're almost out of the 88 we got. We're, we'll get some more. The first two services pretty much uh, cleaned us out, I think. We got a waiting list there. So if you want, if you would like to do that, we're going to get some more kids. We'll try to have it by next week. If we can't, maybe the following week, okay? That's just one way. I think the point is not whether that's the thing for you, but I want you to catch the message that in God's financial plan for our life, it's very clear. Work hard, spend less than you make, give generously both to God's kingdom, but also to the poor. May God teach us as a congregation, wouldn't it be awesome that we would just be a church? Hey, man, that, that is a church. They care about people. They take care of one another. They take care, they reach out to the poor. You see, that, that's the kind of city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, Lord, and thank you for each of these men and women here, critical parts of this church. God, what we do on the weekends, I do a little teaching, but that's not about this church. This church is about the spiritual gifts that you've given to each person sitting here and how you want to release those gifts that they would be the ministers, they would be the priests, as your word says, that we're all called to be priests. God, the church of Rocky Peak, we meet here on the weekend but it's all about getting prepared to go out and touch the world during the week. And so we pray you continue to teach us. Thank you for this amazing wisdom from the book of Proverbs that in a world that is very dark in terms of finances, that there is a light that's leading us through that darkness. Teach us, God, to work hard. Teach us to spend less than we make. And teach us to be givers. We pray this in your name. Amen. You are the light of the world. That's a fact. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a fact. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine this week. Work hard on the job. Be the servant. Do the things that others don't want to do. Show up early. Get the job done. Serve. Be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Live beneath your means so you have something to give. So you don't have stress so you can serve the kingdom. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Give. Give generously to God's kingdom so we can accomplish the purposes he's called us to. Give to the poor. You are the light of the world. That's his word to us today. We are the city on the hill at Rocky Peak. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's go and let your light shine. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.